This is RCT number 33, the third person of the Trinity. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. Today we are on pages 91 to 93. This is the Creed, Article 8, Section A. God give you his peace, and omni pachi sefiti et spiritu santi. Amen. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity, and save our souls, O good one. In nomine Patri, Sefiti, et Spiritu Santi. Amen. As I mentioned a few times ago, most of you are listening on Apple or Spotify or one of your Android apps, and that's great. I think it is better to listen to podcasts on the go. But if you are new and you want to catch up to this RCT series, the one advantage to listening on YouTube is you can go to my channel, Padre Peregrino, and then if you find one of those pull-downs, one of those pull-downs is called Playlists, and then under Playlists you can find RCT, and then you can listen straight through that, or you can listen straight through on the VLX or straight through on the CPX, which is Catechism of Pius X. So again, there are playlists on YouTube. If you're just catching up, that is the best way. You can kind of sift through Rumble or Apple or all those other ones if you want to listen to all the RCTs. But if you want to listen straight through without ads, the best way is to find one of those playlists. Also today, I was going to break up um, all this section on the Holy Spirit into just two sections, but I think that the Holy Spirit isn't spoken of enough by Catholics, and so I'm going to spread it out into three. So we're going to have three sections on the Holy Spirit, even though each section is only going to look at a couple pages. I think these podcasts will probably go for the normal length. Now let's talk about the term, well, the third person of the Trinity. There's two names nowadays in English, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. You might be surprised at this. This is the one thing that some of you might, well, maybe one of several things that you all might think I have some modernist tendencies with, but I prefer the term Holy Spirit. Uh, I know it's closer to Latin. I know you know it's closer to Latin, and yet some people still have pushback against that. They say, uh, I mean, the people that don't like to use the term Holy Spirit, the people who prefer the term Holy Ghost will look at someone like me and say, hey, there's a problem with what you're saying because there's many spirits out there that Catholics pray to today, so we should be more specific with the term Holy Ghost. I get the argument, but in reply to your reply, I could also say, well, there's also a lot of ter- there's also a lot of confusion on the term ghost today. Basically, here's the problem. Every word from love to spirit is currently commandeered by the left. We know that is the deal when you want to have a cultural or an ecclesiastical revolution, you have to change the language. So I also get the allergy to changing anything in language after Vatican II because that is exactly uh, the means of the revolutionaries. But maybe the English term Holy Spirit being closer to Spiritus Santus in Latin, maybe it's the one good thing that followed out of the council. But as today's translation uses the term Holy Ghost, I will use that term while reading it. So the first section on the third person of the Trinity today, again, this is Article 8, I believe in the Holy Ghost. The importance of this article, the Catechism reads, Hitherto we have expounded, as far as the nature of the subject seemed to require, what pertains to the first and second persons of the Holy Trinity, It now remains to explain what the Creed contains with regard to the third person, the Holy Ghost. On this subject, the pastor should omit nothing that study and industry can affect, for on this article, no less than on those that preceded, ignorance or error would be unpardonable in a Christian. Hence the Apostle did not permit some among the Ephesians to remain in ignorance with regard to the person of the Holy Ghost. Having asked if they had received the Holy Ghost, and having received for answer that they did not so much as know that there was a Holy Ghost, 
he at once demanded, In whom therefore were you baptized? Acts chapter 19, verse 2, to signify that a distinct knowledge of this article is most necessary to the faithful. From such knowledge they derive spiritual fruit. For considering attentively that whatever they have they possess through the bounty and beneficence of the Holy Spirit, they begin to think more modestly and humbly of themselves and to place all their hopes in the protection of God, for which a Christian is the first step towards consummate wisdom and supreme happiness. Okay, me again. I think that last part's a reference to when St. Paul challenged you to name one thing you have that didn't come from God. Of course you can't. None of us can name one thing we have that didn't come from God. And what we're going to see today is as we look at the Holy Spirit, he is the life giver. And so we really have nothing to brag for. That was St. Paul's point, that if everything you have that's good comes from God, you have nothing to brag for, since the only thing that actually comes from you is evil. That's not Jansenism. I know that sounds kind of negative and dark, but if you really think about it, everything good in your life, everything good that you do comes from God, and the only thing that actually comes from you is evil. Now, of course, we cooperate with grace and we cooperate with nature, but this is why, this is one of a a thousand reasons why Mary was sinless was her perfect cooperation with grace. In some sense, we can almost say everything that came from her actually came from God. She's just the spotless mirror. That's why one of the names that we have for Mary is the mirror of justice. She is this perfect reflection of God, where we who sin, when I sin, guess what part God has in that? None. (laughs) So the, the only thing that comes from me is evil. And if there's anything good in my life, including anything on this podcast that's good, it actually comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying I'm full of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying when I do something good, I can only give God glory. And when I do something evil, that's entirely me. Okay, so you just heard um, the word Holy Spirit in the RCT, just as I got done saying that we're going to call him the Holy Ghost. But this might show that even those who translated the RCT have a little bit of uh, a use of both terms. Okay, now... I want to talk a little bit about why the Holy Spirit is so important right now in church history. Of course, the Holy Spirit is super important in every age of church history. We've had 20 20 centuries of church history. Of course, every Christian in 2,000 years should really be talking about the Holy Spirit. But specifically in the 21st and the 22nd, or 20th and 21st century, here's what is so important. Now, I don't like the fact that we in America have to use three categorizations of Catholics. And I do this to point out, just basically to get to my point in a rapid manner. But I don't like the fact that we have three categories. We have traditional, and we have neoconservative, and we have liberal. If you don't know what category you're in, well, okay, traditional would include people like Michael Matt at The Remnant. The neocon way would be like Father Mike Schmitz and George Weigel. And then liberal, the liberal Catholic way would be like National Catholic Reporter and those who write at America Magazine. Now, before you think I'm going to get into like saying who's better and criticizing and stuff, I just want to put it on the table that unfortunately, and I really mean that word, unfortunately, we have these three categories of Catholics. Now, what's interesting about all three of those categories is probably none of them deny that there was a man named Jesus who was crucified. I think the big debate right now between those three groups of Catholics in the United States, and in some sense it's around the world, it's not as, I've been to Africa, India, it's not as pronounced in places like that. But I think the big debate right now is how is the Holy Spirit functioning in the 20th and the 21st century? Which of those three groups really has the Holy Spirit in the assertions and the teachings that they're making? Because the divide between these three is getting wider and wider. 
Now, I guess we could even boil this down to some really specific and pointed and sensitive questions. Again, I'm not going to answer these, but I just want you to realize why the Holy Spirit, or the three persons of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit's actually the center of all these debates. So here's a couple of these questions. Did the Holy Spirit inspire Vatican II? Or was the Holy Spirit rejected by the fathers of Vatican II declaring it to be a non-dogmatic council? Or how about more recently, fiducia supplicans. Um, Catholics all over the world, not just the United States, are debating this new thing of blessings called fiducia supplicans. Okay, the big question is, did the Holy Spirit inspire fiducia supplicans? Or was he rejected in the making of that because it's ratifying sin? Now, I think you know my answer to both of those, but it's not worth getting into today. My point in just naming those three categories of Catholics and those two questions, but I can name another hundred questions, the point in doing this is to just show you that the Holy Spirit is really the one being debated of the three persons in the Trinity in all of these current Catholic debates. Who of those three groups really has the Holy Spirit today? Now, of course, all those three, all those three groups are going to really name it as the main juggernauts of their, of their own tribe. Trads might say it's Taylor Marshall. Some trads don't like him. Some people might name somebody else, but he has the biggest following. Trads are going to say it's Taylor Marshall. Probably for neocons, they're going to say it's someone like Father Mike Schmitz. Liberals, James Martin. Now, my answer to this, it's not really political, so listen closely. The best way, I just want to talk about now all of the church crises and how you can tell who really has the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I'm not just talking about this current church crisis. Bishop Athanasius Snyder has named four major doctrinal crises in church history. I'm not going to go into all those four because we've talked about them in past podcasts, but I want you to get that this is, um, I think we are in the most severe of the four right now, but it's not the only time this has happened. And so here's my answer. Who has the Holy Spirit? You compare it to past saints of every age, especially other saints when there was doctrinal crises in the church. Um, and so that's over 1,900 years of saints. And yes, I personally think you have to look before the canonization process changed, but we're not going to get into it. Even if you disagree with me on that, you still have over 1,900 years of saints to see what they taught. And see, it's really not a question of their personality. Were they nice people? Were they mean people? The real question when you're looking at one of these four main church crises, like Bishop Athanasius Snyder named, the real question is, what were the saints actually teaching? And so I think it's pretty obvious it can't be both. The Holy Spirit can't have inspired and not inspired Vatican II. The Holy Spirit can't have inspired fiducia supplicans and not inspired it. We're really at a breaking point where you got to pick a side on those things. And again, I'm not going to talk about an answer today. I just want you to be aware that even though we don't talk about the Holy Spirit too much, the Holy Spirit's actually the center of all of these debates of any time. There's a period in church, church history containing a crisis racked with heresy. And again, Bishop Athanasius Schneider's named those four times in church history over 2,000 years, so I don't want you to think it's only now. But any time there is a period racked with heresy, the big question is, who are the people alive who are really following the Holy Spirit? And St. Vincent Larens, St. Vincent Larens, one of the early church fathers, gives the answer to that. He says, always stick with what was taught in antiquity. That's how you know who has the Holy Spirit. It's, and he was facing this with Arianism in his own time. St. Vincent Laren says, stick with what was taught in antiquity. Well, he wrote that, I think, in the 4th century. So who does he mean? He means the apostles. 
And this is why I'm always saying traditional Catholicism isn't about waxing your mustache and smoking cigars. Both of those are fine, but that's not what this is about. It's about apostolic Catholicism. All of this is to get back to see what did the apostles teach and Obviously, the source of water is coolest and clearest near the source, and next to the apostles is the church fathers. So this is why I'm always talking about the apostles and the fathers, because traditional Catholicism equals apostolic Catholicism, and this is how we learn what the Holy Spirit, or who the Holy Spirit is, primarily by how he has inspired his saints to act and live and die and teach while they were on earth. And now back to the Catechism talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Ghost. The exposition of this article, therefore, should begin with the force and meaning here attached to the words Holy Ghost. This appellation is equally true when applied to the Father and the Son, since both are spirit, both holy, and we confess that God is a spirit. This name may also be applied to angels and the souls of the just. Care must be taken, therefore, that the faithful be not led into error by the ambiguity of the words. The pastor, then, should teach that by the words Holy Ghost in this article is understood the third person of the Blessed Trinity, a sense in which they are used sometimes in the Old and frequently in the New Testament. Thus King David prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, Psalm 50. And in the Book of Wisdom we read, Who shall know thy thoughts except thou give wisdom and send the Holy Spirit from above, Wisdom chapter 9. And in another place it is said, He created her in the Holy Ghost, Ecclesiasticus 1.9. We are also commanded in the New Testament to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, Matthew chapter 28. We read that the most holy virgin conceived of the Holy Ghost, Matthew 1 and Luke 1. And we are sent by St. John to Christ who baptizeth us in the Holy Ghost, John chapter 1, verse 33. There are many other passages in which the words Holy Ghost occur. No one should be surprised that a proper name is not given to the third as to the first and second persons. The second person is designated by a proper name and called Son because, as has been explained in the preceding articles, his eternal birth from the Father is properly called generation. As therefore that birth is expressed by the word generation, so the person emanating from that generation is properly called Son and the person from whom he emanates, Father. But as the production of the third person has no proper name, but is called spiration and procession, the person produced is consequently designated by no proper name. His emanation has no proper name simply because we are obliged to borrow from created objects the names given to God and know no, one, and know no other created means of communicating nature and essence than that of generation. Hence, we cannot discover a proper name to express the manner in which God communicates himself entire by the force of his love. Wherefore, we call the third person Holy Ghost a name, however peculiarly appropriate to him who infuses into us spiritual life and without whose inspiration we can do nothing meritorious of eternal life. Me again. Now, I know if you're driving, probably some people just fell asleep. Or if you're sitting at home, I hope that didn't put you to, I hope it didn't put you to sleep either way. But I know there was a lot contained in there. Let me try to parse it out for you right there. So the term generation, we know that in human terms because that refers to biological reproduction. Of course, there's several things different. Why we refer to the son proceeding from the father as generation. There's a lot of reasons why this is different from biological reproduction. 
uh, the two most obvious is it's non-physical and also it's not based in time. And so we say that the Son was generated of the Father, begotten and not made, but that's in eternity. So it's not like the Son was ever created. The Son, God the Son we know is uncreated, but he is generated in eternity by the Father. Now the word spirit, uh, that means a being with a personality, but also has no physical body, but this is a real personality. Now, that term, uh, spirit and personality, that actually also includes God the Father because he is an eternal spirit with a real personality. And it also includes God the Son because he's a real person um, who's eternal and, and spirit. And now, since the year uh, zero, he also has a body. So God the Son, the eternal word, has both. He's both um, divine and human. Even now, his body's in heaven. And then the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is, of course, eternal and personal and a spirit. And then we just heard the catechism say um, all the souls of those who are in heaven, the, the saints who are in heaven, are currently spirit. Most of them are currently spiritual. We learned last time that those who um, rose right around Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection, they have their bodies. We know Enoch and Elijah and the, um, that, what's the name of that one heaven? The, uh, I think it's the atmospheric heaven. Um, and so most of the saints in heaven do not have their bodies. So they can also, in some sense, be called spirits. So basically what the catechism is getting at here is a linguistic, uh, the linguistic issues of this. And so here's the key to all this, that God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are of one divine substance, but two different persons. But we get this, we on earth, we can picture a father and God knows this. We can also picture a son. In fact, the apostles saw God the Son's face even on earth. And this is why we just heard the catechism say the second person, that is the eternal word, Jesus Christ, he's designated by a proper name and called son because, as has been explained in the preceding articles, his eternal birth from the Father is properly called generation. As therefore that birth is expressed by the word generation, so the person emanating from that generation is properly called son. Okay, now we get to the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, you see, no one has seen him. And the Holy Spirit, unlike an angel who's also spirit or a saint in heaven who's also spirit, the Holy Spirit is infinite in power and glory, unlike a, an angel or a saint. So language-wise, these words from the Catechism are very interesting. Listen again. But as, the production of the whole, but as the production of the third person has no proper name, but is called spiration and procession, the person produced is consequently designated by no proper name. His emanation has no proper name, simply because we are obliged to borrow from created objects the names given to God, and know no other created means of communicating nature and essence than that of generation. Hence, we cannot discover a proper name to express the manner in which God communicates himself entire by the force of his love. So we don't have anything to compare the Holy Spirit to, or rather, God doesn't have anything physical in his own divine revelation to compare the Holy Spirit to. So we are, we are I shouldn't say left, God has chosen to give us the name Holy Spirit, but there's nothing physical in that. Um, and I think basically what this is saying, and I might be wrong, is that, it's almost like this. The Holy Spirit is too mysterious for God to have given us, in his own divine revelation of the Trinity, a name like Father or Son. But we have to be careful with that word that I just said, mysterious, because that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is any less real than God the Father or God the, or God the Son, of course. You see, too often, I think, we in English, we think of that term mysterious as meaning wispy or maybe maybe even full of mist. I often think that because the word mist is in mysterious, we picture this as something difficult to see. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a problem, especially in English. But the point is this, that even if God had not decided to create earth or man or angels, 
The Holy Spirit, of course, I think everyone knows this, even if creation hadn't happened, um, the Holy Spirit would still be the person constituting the eternal love between the Father and the Son. So in some sense, it doesn't matter if we have a concrete grasp of him or not. He's still the Holy Spirit in eternity, whether we have a good name for him or not. But that last line of the Catechism shows how intimately wrapped up the Holy Spirit is in our lives and why we should want to know the Holy Spirit intimately. The Catechism just said, Therefore, we call the third person Holy Ghost, a name however peculiarly appropriate to him who infuses into a spiritual life and without whose inspiration we can do nothing meritorious of eternal life. Now that last line is interesting because Protestants always accuse Catholics of earning their way to heaven. They always say, oh, you Catholics don't understand grace is free and you're always trying to pull yourselves up to heaven by your own bootstraps, by your own good works. But we as Catholics, and remember, this Council of Trent that I'm reading you came out in the 16th century in a direct rebuttal of Protestantism. And right there, we learn that without God, we can do nothing meritorious of eternal life. So we as Catholics admit that. What Protestants are missing is that we have to cooperate with grace to be saved. More and more Protestants are waking up to that. But that is an error that has been really harshly infused by Satan into the minds of many non-Catholic so-called Christians for 500 years believing you're just, you're saved once by making an altar call where, you know, pretty much every chapter of the Bible is very clear that you have to cooperate with grace to be saved. Now let's talk about this term life giver. I think that's going to be the name of our third section on the Holy Spirit. But remember, in the creed, we call the Holy Spirit the life giver. And so this means that the Holy Spirit is central to our daily life of sacraments, and grace, and cooperation with grace in the works that we do. And so also the Catechism today just gave a few examples of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament. And I want you to listen to this so you don't just think, I know the Holy Spirit's just way off there only. No, the Holy Spirit is, um, is the third person of the Trinity, so he's everywhere. Not in the pantheistic sense, but that um, listen to how intimately involved he is in salvation history. It says, King David prays, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, and in the book of wisdom we read, Who shall know thy thoughts except thou give wisdom and send the Holy Spirit from above? And in another place it's said, He created her in the Holy Ghost. We are also commanded, says the Catechism in the New Testament, to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then we also read that Mary, the Most Holy Virgin, conceived of the Holy Ghost. That's in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. I had a professor in seminary in scripture in my Novus Ordo Seminary say that the references in the Old Testament to the Holy Spirit was just a general good spirit not the actual Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, just because the full, de full revelation of the Trinity hadn't happened yet doesn't mean Scripture was not inspired by God. In other words, because God himself inspired the Old Testament, when we have those two words together, Holy Spirit, that literally means the third person of the Trinity. So when King David prays, take not thy Holy Spirit from me, he is speaking to the capital H Holy, capital S Spirit, Holy Spirit. Now, he might not be able to describe a Trinitarian theology. In fact, he most certainly couldn't de describe a Trinitarian theology. But when he prayed to the Holy Spirit, he was praying to God. So we have to recognize that, that when there's Old Testament references to the Holy Spirit, that is a reference to the third person of the Trinity. Even if the author didn't know it, God is the primary author of Scripture, so God was meaning himself, namely the Holy Spirit. But let's keep in mind that every act of the Trinity in creation or redemption or sanctification always includes all three persons, of course. I think everyone probably knows that, but it's worth saying. 
because there was an early heresy against the Trinity in the early church called Sabellianism or modalism. And basically that taught that God sometimes did things as Father, and God sometimes did things on earth as Son, and God sometimes did things as Holy Spirit. I call it the Manny Faces um, heresy. Because remember from He-Man, that uh, one man where you could turn and there was three different faces that came through his helmet? This is the heresy of Sabellianism or modalism. But kids, remember, that is a heresy. It is always God the Father functioning in everything of creation, redemption, and sanctification. It is always God the Son functioning in every act of creation and redemption and sanctification. And it is always God the Holy Spirit functioning in every act of creation and redemption and sanctification. We, as humans with limited brains, we are simply required, and God knew this because he's compassionate to us, we ascribe, that's the key word, we simply ascribe certain aspects with emphasis to one person of the Trinity or the other because of the interior processions of the Trinity, but all three are always involved in the exterior actions of the Trinity. So what are these interior processions? Well, you heard the Catechism just say the third person has no proper name, but is called spiration and procession. And what this basically means is that the Holy Spirit proceeds in spiration from the Father and the Son. Now, most Eastern Orthodox, that's to say Russian Orthodox and Greek Orthodox, they don't believe this. They believe the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father. Let me say Catholic teaching again. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but the Russian and Greek Orthodox view is the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father only. So those words, those words and the Son, that's actually one word in Latin, filioque. And we do say, if you say the creed on Sunday, in Latin, you do say the word filioque, and it simply means and the Son. Well, the Eastern Orthodox reject the filioque in the creed. Again, we Catholics say filioque in the creed. Again, the entire debate, listen closely here, the entire debate, because I think there's a lot of Catholics that hear that word filioque and they don't really know what it means. They kind of want to get involved in the fight and weigh in on it, but you got to understand both sides before you take up arms <laughs> against the Eastern Orthodox. You got to actually understand that there's not only there are two sides to debate, there's actually two debates in this whole thing, if you can believe it. So again, the entire, the main debate, we'll get to the secondary debate, but here's the main debate. The main debate is if the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father only, or if the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And, and the Son is translated into Latin as one word, filioque. Now, here's the other debate. Um, the other debate is on the creed. So the primary debate here is if the Holy Spirit actually, in reality, proceeds from the Father and the Son, but whether the filioque, that word should be in the creed, is a different debate, and here's why. That line in the creed, filioque, was actually added to the Nicene Creed in, I think, the 8th or 9th or 10th century. So there are some people who believe in the filioque in reality, as in the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, but... They believe that because the Filioque was added to the Nicene Creed 500 years after it was originally written, it should still be left out of the Creed. I have a blog post coming out on that that doesn't really tackle the question of the Creed because I admit there's actually some pretty valid arguments on both sides of should you ever change a Creed. However, I do believe there is very significant evidence from both the Bible and the Church Fathers that the Holy Spirit does indeed proceed not only from the Father, but also from the Son. Hence, I am pro-filioque, as probably all of you have guessed. I very much believe in the filioque. I'm a Roman at heart. I would even argue that there are Eastern fathers who believe in this, and I'll be writing a, an upcoming blog post on that. 
I'm sure most of you know this, but the name of my blog is the same as the channel you're listening to, Padre Peregrino. Thanks to all my benefactors, both spiritual material, my only income comes from you, my listeners, and you keep this free for everyone who can't donate. I remember both groups who pray for me and who donate at my masses. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti Descendit Supervos et Maniat Semper. Amen.